Five, four, three, two, one. Hello, children, and welcome to season two, episode. Please be thirty-one. I think it's thirty-one. Season thirty-one. Jesus Christ. Welcome to season two, episode twelve of the On My Dime On Your Time podcast. I thought it was episode. It's episode thirty-one of the show, but it's episode twelve of season two. And for today, it's the long-awaited, much-hyped part two of the book review because no one wants to listen to me to me talk for another 40 for like an hour and a half about books so i decided to break them up i have a 45 minute episode out already about talking about high performance habits and 59 seconds and today we're just going to talk about one book called atomic habits so atomic habits both atomic habits and high performance habits were gifted to me on my birthday shouts out to you all and yeah, I finally got the chance to read them, and they're both ended up becoming some of my favorite books that I've read so far. Atomic Habits is is goes a little bit more in depth about like the importance of habits, I think, than High Performance Habits did. Whereas High Performance Habits talked more about specific habits that you should establish, whereas Atomic Habits is more of like a good overview on habits in general. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It's written by James Clear, and he's been through some shit in his life, if I may say so. So he kind of came up with the idea of this book. Not really the idea of this book, but one of the issues that happened to him was he was like, when he was a young kid, he got hit in the head with a baseball bat, I believe. Yeah, a baseball bat. And Pretty much he had like fractured skull, broken nose, his eye sockets were like broken and stuff. And yeah, he was like losing consciousness, lots of bad things. And he wanted to become a professional baseball player, but after the injury, he couldn't do that. So he had to learn a lot about habits and how to become a better athlete and to allow him to sort of overcome the injury. So when he went, he went to a school called a college called Denison University and that's where he sort of worked on his craft and worked on like his education and stuff and that's sort of where he became interested in habits he with each semester that passed he sort of accumulated these small habits like lifting like multiple times a week eating well and like studying as well and he managed to like bulk up from like 170 pounds to a lean to like 200 pounds lean which is no small feat because I've been trying to get to 180 pounds for the past like four years and I always like flirt with like 175 and but that's like a very fluffy 175 so I end up cutting back down to 170 but no one's here to listen to me complain about why I can't gain weight so yeah and one of the one of the quotes that really stands out from the book is basically he says anything wise in these pages you should credit with the men to the many experts who preceded me anything foolish you should assume it's my error and I, I I like that mentality when it comes to like content create not really content creation I like that mentality when it comes to like pursuing anything it's like anything sort of or like I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say I like the quote let's leave it at that so the book is I've said this like 12 times already take a shot every time I said atomic habits so the book is called Atomic Habits, and what Atomic Habits means is, it's like Atomic is like something so small that can have like a massive impact, it's kind of like Atomic Bomb, all that stuff. 
And a habit is basically something that you, it, you know what a habit is, but a habit is something that you do every single day without fail for, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. It's like making a coffee in the morning, brushing your teeth, uh, making your bed, that sort of stuff. That's what a habit is. And you probably already know that, but yeah. James talks about thinking of habits sort of as like compound interest because like 1% improvement like day after day can like it reaches like if you know what an asymptotic curve is it's basically like it's sort of very like slow marginal gains for the first like quite a long period to be quite honest and then it sort of like ramps up and goes like to the moon basically but also on the, at, in the, at, at the same time 1% decline every day will slowly lead you down to a path where it's not good to be so yeah, you should be very cautious of the habits that you allow yourself, that you allow to enter into your life. In this book here, I'm just going to read a quick passage. It says, your habits can compound for you or against you. So like product productivity compounds. So like if you accomplish one extra task is a small feat on any, on any given day, sorry, but it counts for a lot over an entire career. The effect of automating an old task or mastering a new skill can be even greater. The more tasks you can handle without thinking, the more your brain is free to focus on other areas. Knowledge compounds. Learning one new idea won't make you a genius, but a commitment to lifelong learning can be transformative. Furthermore, each book that you read not only teaches you something different, but also opens up new different ways of thinking about old ideas. As Warren Buffett says, that's how knowledge works. It builds up like compound interest. Relationships compound. People reflect your behavior back to you. The more you want to help others, the more others will want to help you. Kind of goes back to atomic, like not atomic habits, kind of goes back to high performance habits as well, where like basically said, if you want people to help you, get them to do you a favor or like help other people reach their goal and that will help you reach your own goal as well. And like for neg negative compounds as well, because like sort of like, so you have stress, negative thoughts and outrage. So like, riots, protests, that sort of thing. It's not like those things don't don't happen from like one small event. It's like years and years of microaggressions and daily aggravations, it says here, that slowly multiplies until the outrage spreads like wildfire. I'm not going to talk about like my thoughts on riots and protests because I do believe they're necessary to allow the general public to actually understand the message that's being told, but I'm not going to get into that. Negative thoughts compound. If you think of yourself as worthless, stupid, or ugly, the more you condition yourself to interpret life that way. That's very valuable because I feel like a lot of people, especially with the pandemic, you have a lot more time with your thoughts and negative thoughts can sometimes set in, but you have to be aware that negative thoughts do compound as, as James says. Stress also compounds. Like if you have stress of like a traffic jam of like parental responsibilities and a worry about like even making ends meet, or like high blood pressure, all that stuff. If that persists for a long time, you'll get like serious like mental health issues, physical health issues, relationship issues, all of those things. So be careful about the habits that you allow into your life. He talks about the plateau of latent potential. It's basically what I spoke about earlier about like progression from habits being like an asymptotic curve. So like, yeah, so then you think that what should happen is that you make like steady progress in like a linear regime throughout your life from 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 like employing these habits throughout the day but actually it's it's like it's very 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 slow for the first like 
month, week, year even. And then it just takes off to the moon. Like, it's absolutely insane. Like, for me, like, I'll use the gym as an example because that's, like, I think that's a fairly easy topic to understand or, like, even any athletic endeavor. So sort of when I first started, like, lifting and working out, I was about, like, I think I was about 130 pounds and I was, like, what we call, like, skinny fat where it's, like, I didn't have much muscle mass on me but I had, like, a good I had like I had body fat on me but I didn't have any muscle as well so I was just like thin and like soft I guess is the best way to describe it and I I do believe I have good genetics so I did respond very quickly but it took me about uh maybe three years to build like a solid base of muscle and strength and since then I'm thinking back to this like second year university where I had like a solid base from second year university to now, I'm kind of I'm pretty much in fourth year right now. It's been like it's it's been like steady progress. It's actually like noticeable. Like it's it's just been crazy. I know like with COVID and the pandemic, I can't really train optimally, but like I can see like the changes in my physique and stuff. And that's like it's just it's it's crazy to see because like all the work that I put in, it's starting to really pay off now. James highlights four problems when it comes to setting goals. Problem number one is that like winners and losers pretty much have the same goals. Like everyone wants to, I think everyone, if you're watching this podcast, you want to succeed in some capacity in life. And the thing that's going to make you, because you're going to succeed from everybody else who doesn't succeed, you guys have the same goals. And that's like, it's interesting. But like the reason that those people don't succeed is from their habits is what James, James argues. Achieving a goal is only a momentary change. That's like one of the problems because, um, let me just read this here. Achieving a goal only changes your life for the moment. That's the counterintuitive thing about improvement. We think we need to change our results, but the results are not the problem. Let me just drink some water here. You need to fix the system itself and not just the goals that you set. You have to have a system of goals about like your persona or your life and then only only from targeting the system will you make actual progress problem like there's a, a there's an association with goals where it's like if you reach your goal you're going to be happy but i that kind of creates like a conflict that james calls an either or conflict where like you either achieve your goal and that makes you successful or you fail and you become a disappointment that sort of boxes you into like a mentality of like kind of do or die which can be good but it boxes you into like a narrow version of what you would define as happiness and I don't think that is a good way to live personally and James argues that this a systems first mentality provides the antidote so you have to fall in love with the process rather than the product so you like you want to yeah fall in love with the process rather than the product you want to be able to like fall in love with the gym and not fall in love with like looking good kind of thing even though you can love both goals are at odds with long-term progress like a goal-oriented mindset can create a yo-yo effect so like runners and like some runners and like some athletes can like train so hard and reach that high level of like success but then they stop training afterwards because they kind of like lose they because they reach the goal and then they don't know what to do from there and a bit of a caveat that's kind of why i like the sport of like professional arm wrestling so much because it is like it is a lot of like older people that do compete in the sport and it's from like years and years of lifelong training that to make them where they are and again like marginal gains like 
you're not going to see very many professional arm wrestlers who are like in their 30s. They're all like in their 40s. Some are even in their 50s. Shout out Devin Larratt. Um, Todd Hutchings as well. I believe he's 50. I don't know. He could be 50. Anyways, yeah. So then they keep at it, even though if they've reached their goals, they just kind of, they just sort of keep going. And it's amazing to see. Let's get a little bit into the science of how habits work. So there's four simple steps that goes into building a habit. There's the cue, the craving, the response, and the reward. So the cue, the cue is what triggers the brain to like to cause you to perform the behavior. It like sort of predicts a reward and causes you to act on it. Kind of like some of the main ones are like food, water, and like sex. And most of our time like in the present day is secondary reward, re rewards such as like money and fame, power, status, praise and approval, love, or fr love and friendship, or a sense of personal satisfaction. Craving is the second step because once you have like you don't crave the habit itself. Shut up, phone. What you crave is not the habit itself, but the change in states that it delivers. You don't really crave smoking a cigarette if you are like addicted to smoking. You crave the sense of relief it provides. Shut up, phone. And you crave, like, kind of corny, but you crave how it makes you feel, not necessarily the act itself. Every craving is linked to a desire to change your internal state. That's a very important point that I'm going to discuss a little bit later, hopefully, if I get to it. The third step is the response. The response is the actual habit that happens, and that kind of depends on how motivated you are and like the friction that's associated with that behavior. So basically, if it's an easy like habit to fall into, good or bad, you're more likely to do it. If it's super hard and it's a good habit or a bad habit, you're less likely to do it, obviously. And finally is the reward. It's basically the thing that you the, the thing that you're after in a sense. But it's interesting. I read a study, I'm not sure if it was in this book. If it's in this book, I'm gonna to get to it and probably repeat myself. But it basically said there was a study on rats done, and they found that the rats craved not the reward itself, but um yeah, sorry. So the rats ended up craving the anticipation of the reward more than the reward itself which is very interesting some examples here that are in the book is like so like your phone like the cue is your phone buzzes with a new text message or a like a notification which is funny because that just happened in the recording and the craving is you want to learn the contents of the message which i'm dealing with right now so the response is that you grab your phone and read the text which i'm not going to do because i'm focusing on you guys and girls and everything in between and the reward is that you satisfy the urge to read the message and that and like grabbing your phone becomes associated with hearing it buzzing. So like you create that sort of dopaminergic loop sort of. There are four main laws at which you can use to influence human behavior. So the first one is making it obvious. The second one is making it attractive. The third is making it easy. And the fourth is make it satisfying. So those all target those four points of like how a habit is formed, cue, craving, response, and reward, respectively. And you could just like find the antonym of these words to make it like a bad habit. So for cue, you can make it invisible. You can, and for craving, make it unattractive. For response, make it difficult. And for reward, make it unsatisfying. And that's how you break bad habits and build good ones. I'm just gonna highlight some important points from the book because there's no sense in me like creating an audiobook for this. I'm just gonna sort of go over the most important points and 
Either way, I highly recommend you read this book for yourself because the important things that I found in this book may be completely different for you. In fact, they're likely to be completely different for you. So highly recommend checking out this book. I think it's like 20 bucks Canadian on Amazon, which is like, what is that, like 13 US freaking conversion rate. But yeah, if you're into habits, if you want to change your habits, highly recommend this book. Not sponsored by James Clear, not sponsored by anything yet, but yeah, highly recommend. James recommends creating something called a habit scorecard, which is like an exercise with which you can become more aware of your behavior. So basically you track your, make a list of your daily habits. So like you wake up, you brush your teeth, you turn off your alarm, not in that order probably, but you know, put on deodorant, go to the bathroom, wait, go to the bathroom, weigh yourself, take a shower, all that stuff, make a cup of coffee, all that crap. So you make a list of those and you sort of rank them on a list of not on the list of, but you rank them sort of based on if they're going to benefit you like a few years down the line or not benefit you at all. So like, and like labeling them just as good habit and bad habit is not a good thing, is not a good thing because there really are no good or bad habits. They're just like effective or ineffective habits. So eating breakfast, I would argue it's a good, is a effective habit, habit and smoking is an ineffective habit, smoking cigarettes. Weed is a whole nother animal, which I don't really want to get into right now. Why do I do this every time? Anyways, and the important thing is, kind of like with meditation, don't blame yourself for your faults because that's sort of how you're going to like burn out, burn yourself out. And also don't praise yourself for your successes. You just have to acknowledge like what happens and then strive to like reach the ideal that you have in your mind. The best way to start a new habit is called habit stacking so basically at, like with the list of habits that you have you sort of say after after i do this i'm going to do this so after you after you make your cup of coffee you're going to meditate after you exercise after you take off your work shoes or your work like after you get home you're going to go into like your workout clothes after you sit down for dinner you're going to say one thing that you're grateful for today uh yeah I, th I that's super valuable because I've been experimenting more and more with meditation. I probably I sound like a broken record at this point, but yeah, I've been meditating, and admittedly, I've not been stacking the habits very well because I go through all my morning stuff like I eat breakfast, I go to the washroom, brush my teeth, all that stuff, and I do like a, a mini workout in the morning, like for arm wrestling, and then I get changed, and then I meditate, which is not ideal. I should really like meditate either first thing in the morning or I'm going off on a tangent, but I should not use social media in the morning and then I should like meditate on with like a fresh mind relatively. And yeah, there like, so like an example is after I pour my morning cup of coffee, I'll meditate for 60 seconds. After I meditate for 60 seconds, I will write out my to-do list for the day. After I write out my to-do list for the day, I will immediately begin my first task. Um, this sort of allows you to create some rules, and this will also help you guide your future behavior. So, I actually, I highlighted a few of these. So, for social skills, when I walk into a party, I will introduce myself to someone I don't know yet. For finances, when I want to buy something over $100, I will wait 24 hours before purchasing. That's, that's something I need to do because I spend too much money on clothes and I am too quick to make a purchase. 
And yeah, so I just, I impulse bought a pair of shoes yesterday. They're like a pair of Doc Martens X collaboration with End and Softnet. They're like a black 1461 with like crocodile embossed, like fake leather, but it has like crocodile detailing. I just bought them because they were pretty and I don't necessarily regret the purchase, but I think I should have thought on it a little bit more. I don't know. Minimalism. When I buy a new item, I will give something away. One in, one out. A lot of YouTubers talk about this. A lot of influencers talk about this. It's something I'm going to definitely experiment with because I don't, I think my wardrobe is big enough right now, even though it's like a decent size. And yeah, anyways, mood. When the phone rings, I'll take one deep breath and smile before answering it because you shouldn't, from Atomic Habits, no, I keep saying Atomic Habits, from High Performance Habits, you should not let the emotion of a previous task affect the next task moving forward. This should be, you should like meditate, you could, if you want, you can meditate between the tasks and that will allow you to like go into the next phase, excuse me, with a clear head. This was probably my favorite chapter. It's it's titled Motivation is Overrated, Environment Often Matters More. I think that, yeah, I agree with the title first of all. And also, I believe that separating your tasks for the day is an invaluable thing to do. Like when I was in university during first year, I would I would study the library occasionally, but I would also study in my dorm a lot, which is where I ate breakfast, where I got ready for the gym where I slept, where I hung out with friends. And I did like so many different things in this one room. And when it came down to studying, I didn't like produce quality work and it showed. So I don't know. I'm fortunate enough to be able to, to be living at home, first of all, and be able to separate my tasks properly. Like in my bedroom, I only sleep and get changed for stuff. That's pretty much it. And I'm in my basement right now. When I'm in my basement, this is where I work. And there's another room upstairs. That's where I work out. And that's kind of like where I relax because I put two and two together. I watch like video, I watch YouTube videos while I work out. I, watch, I listen to podcasts while I work out. I listen to music while I work out. And yeah, so if you have the option, move, like change your, like partition your tasks. So like even like, I know we can't really do this right now, but like go to a coffee shop and study kind of um, even. Yeah. So like the mantra here is one space, one use. So even if you even if like worst case scenario, you're living in a studio, you should. I don't know. I'm just thinking of like studios that I've like seen in the past. So again, bedroom is only for sleeping and like that sort of area around the bed is like for sleeping and for like getting changed. The kitchen table can be for either working or eating. And then which other, which the opposite of what I just said. It's like if you eat at the kitchen table, you should be working either at your office or at a coffee shop. Or if you're working at home, you should eat, not really eat out because that's a bad idea. You should eat somewhere else in your house that isn't of those two places because, eat, yeah, again, worst case scenario, that's better than doing everything in one place, I think. All right, so to sum up the first point, for the first law to make it obvious, you should make a habit scorecard and write down your current habits so you can become fully aware of them. Use implementation intentions. So I will, I will do X thing at Y time in Z location. 
use habit stacking. After I X, I will Y. So after I make a coffee, I will meditate. Design your design your environment and yeah, make make the cues of good habits obvious and visible. So going back, I, I don't want to talk about diet too much because diet isn't a whole animal, which I don't know, I'm learning more and more about every day. But let's just say you want to lose a bit of weight because for whatever reason, you shouldn't have like, quote unquote, unhealthy food in the house because it's like if it's in sight, it's going to be in mind. If it's out of sight, it's going to be out of mind. So like don't buy it or if you do have to buy it because like if you're living at home like me and we always have chips in the house for some reason, I like and I do eat them sometimes. But when like it's a day where I don't want to eat them, I will like put them in like like a closed container so like, I can't see them kind of. And if it's a bad habit, you should reduce exposure, remove the cues of your bad habits from your environment. So if you're a drinker, don't again, don't have alcohol in the house and like even like the glasses maybe could tr trigger you maybe, I don't know. And yeah, going back to the food example, just don't have bad food or unhealthy food in the house. There are no bad foods, only slightly more or slightly less healthy foods. So it was in fact this book where they had the rat study about like dopamine. I'm just going to I'm just going to read the study out. So craving like the moment a craving occurs is measured by the neurotransmitter dopamine. So in 1954 there was an experiment run where they implanted electrodes into the brains of rats and researchers blocked the release of dopamine. With this, the rats lost all will to live. They wouldn't eat, they wouldn't have sex, they didn't crave anything, and they sort of died of thirst at the end. So, and then when they reversed the process, the mice like received like a powerful hit of dopamine every time they poked their nose in a box. Within minutes, the mice created developed a craving so strong that they, they began poking their nose into the box 800 times an hour, which is insane. And there's a parallel here, it's like, the average slot machine player will spin the wheel 600 times per hour, which I think is maybe an exaggeration, but also James probably knows a lot more than I am, and I don't have any experience at casinos. Um, yeah, so also, the anticipation of, I've said, this, I've said this already, but the anticipation of a reward, not the fulfillment of it, is what gets us to take action. There is more neural circuitry for wanting the reward than for actually enjoying the reward when it happens so the wanting centers in the brain are like your brain stem your nucleus accumbens the ventral tegmental area the dorsal striatum the amygdala and portions of the prefrontal cortex the liking centers are a lot smaller they're called like hedonic hotspots which i think is hilarious and they're distributed like tiny islands throughout the brain so during like a phase of like craving something, nearly 100% of your nucleus accumbens is activated during that process. Meanwhile, only 10% of the structure is activated during actual enjoyment of like receiving the reward. So to sum up how to make it attractive, you should use temptation bundling, pair an action you want to do with an action that you need to do join a culture or like a social group or like friend group even where your desired behavior is the normal behavior kind of like that old adage where it's show me your friends and i'll show you your future and i think it was jordan peterson who said if you take the average of the five people with which you spend the most time if you average their income and divide it by five 
which which is the average. If you average their income, that's going to be your income in the future as well. Create a motivation ritual. Do something you enjoy immediately before a difficult habit. So sort of, again, going back to Jordan Peterson, kind of like treat yourself like a child in a sense because in some respects you are a child because you can't control yourself. So yeah, reward yourself. Like there's nothing wrong with that. Like don't obviously like go go like do a workout and then go to McDonald's, which you which you can do, but it might not necessarily be the best choice for long-term progress. Let me come up with a better example. So like maybe if you ooh this is tough. Uh if you'd like get an assignment done, go on your phone a little bit. Like, I don't see an issue with that as long as it's like not messing with your mental health, maybe. And like to invert that, to make it unattractive, you need to highlight the benefits of avoiding your bad habits. James talks about another book that's titled Alan Carr's Easy Way to Stop Smoking. So the way the book works, it sort of structure, it's like reframes each cue associated with smoking and gives it new meaning. So for example, you think you're quitting something, but you're not really quitting anything because cigarettes don't really provide you with anything. And you like if you're a social smoker, you don't really you can be social without smoking. And the way that the I haven't read the book personally, but the way James says the book is it basically like reframes all the different points that may cause someone to smoke and help them to quit. And it allows you to enter the mindset where you're not really losing anything. You're just gaining like health and like positive gains and like health, energy, money and self-confidence, self-respect, freedom and length and quality of life. So I don't know, I think like smoking is a bad example because I don't entirely understand it because I've never been addicted to cigarettes. So maybe that's total bullshit. And if it is and you are, if you have quit or if you're trying to quit, please let me know because I don't know. Addictions are interesting to me in a sense, which makes me sound like a sociopath, but I don't know. And you can sort of reprogram your brain to enjoy hard habits. So like, most people who don't exercise, they, kind of may, they may associate it with like something that's challenging and may just like wear you down. And you can sort of like view it as a way to develop skills and build you up because it's not just about like building a body. It's about like building a mindset, building like being able to like struggle under pressure and like being able to like, I don't know, again, caveat, like not caveat, but like going off the track here. I think that I think working out is so valuable because it's one of the only things in life with which you put you get out exactly what you put in because with school, especially now you can like study as like your ass off. But if the prof is just like, yo, nah, I'm going to make this difficult and then not give you notes maybe about like the stuff and then you have a quiz and you're like oh shoot I don't know anything but then they post the notes after the quiz which would have helped you I'm a little salty about that anyways you you don't in those situations you don't necessarily get out what you put in but with the gym like if you want to like build your legs or whatever that's just a good example because it's one of the things I'm struggling with if you want to build your legs you have to train so like a lot harder than you think you need to and if you do that they're going to grow like they have like they have no choice right it's it's going to happen 
but if you if you like half-ass your workout you're not gonna reap any rewards another example is finance people like may associate saving money with like sacrifice but it actually allows you to like it gives you more spending like opportunities and like spending freedom i guess is the right term like for the next month for the next year for the next decade and like meditation as well you may think it's like a waste of time because it's so distracting and you could become frustrated which is something i've definitely experienced and you can sort of transform this frustration into delight when you realize that each interruption gives you a chance to practice returning to your breath Distraction is a good thing because you need distractions to practice meditation. And that's honestly just very valuable. And also, I highly recommend you try meditating if you haven't tried it yet. I'm going to talk a little, about, a little bit more about marginal gains. I feel like I've talked about this a lot. Either, like, I don't know if I've like, made an episode talking about this, but I feel like I've talked about it a lot in like my personal life, like with friends and stuff. So, like... The, type, the chapter here is called Walk Slowly But Never Backward. So, like, and there was, there was not really a study done, but there was, like, I guess it's a study. So there were two groups in a classroom, and it was a photography class. One half would be sort of the quantity group, where they have to, like, they were graded solely on the amount of work that they produced, like, regardless of the quality. And basically the most, the person who made the most photos would get the best grade. And the second side of the, the right side of the group, I don't know if I see, yes, yeah, so the first side is the left side, this is the right side. The right side of the group would be the quantity group, sorry, the quality group. And they would be graded on the excellence of a single image. And at the end of the term, they were all, like, they were graded. And the quantity, the qua sorry, hang on. The quantity group produced the most quality, the, the best work because they were practicing taking photos they were experimenting with like composition and lighting, testing out various methods in the darkroom, and they were learning from their mistakes. Whereas the quality group sat down and just like talking about like perfection, like how to make the perfect image, how to do anything perfect. And I don't know, I don't believe in perfection anymore. I just believe in good enough because you'll never achieve perfection, but it's very easy to achieve good enough. And if you keep achieving good enough, your idea of good enough is going to grow and you will eventually reach that asymptotic curve of being like reaching like so close to perfect where it's basically perfect, but it's still good enough kind of thing. I don't know if that makes any sense. And also take a shot every time I've said asymptote or asymptotic. I've talked about this in, I think, the other episode, but it's called the two-minute rule. So the brain has a sort of way of becoming stuck on unfinished tasks so a good way to sort of beat procrastination is to do a task that you have to do and push yourself to do it and make yourself do it for literally two minutes and your brain is going to sort of get fixated on that task and it's going to be bugging you and bugging you until you end up having to do it kind of thing so to sum up the make it easy chapter it's like how to create a good habit Reduce friction. Decrease the number of steps between you and your good habits. Prime the environment. Prepare your environment to make future actions easier. Master the decisive moment. Optimize the small choices that deliver the outsized impact. Use the two-minute rule. Downsize your habits until they can be done in two minutes or less. Automate your habits. 
Invest in technology and one-time purchases that lock in future behavior. How to break a bad habit. Make it difficult. Increase friction. Increase the number of steps between you and your bad habits. Use a commitment device. Restrict your future choices to the only the ones that will benefit you. I'm just going to speed through the next one. Make it satisfying. How to create a good habit. Use reinforcement. Give yourself an immediate reward when you complete a task. Make doing nothing enjoyable. When avoiding the bad habit, design a way to see benefits. Use a habit tracker. Keep track of your habit streak and don't break the chain. But I'm going to add a little bit. If you do break the chain, don't go on like a binge of whatever bad habit that is because that's not really going to help anything. And if, yeah, and then just get back right back on the horse. Never miss, yeah, he kind of says it here. Never miss twice. When you forget to do a habit, make sure you get back on track immediately. How to break a ha bad habit. Make it unsatisfying. Get an accountability partner. Ask someone to watch your behavior because, as I've said before, it's easier to let yourself down than it is to let others down. Create a habit contract. Make the cost of your bad habits public and painful. Gonna go into this chapter here, advanced tactics. Let's see what there is here. Actually, I'm not gonna get into that chapter. I'm gonna be a dick and make sure you guys read the book and you can get the advanced tactics yourself. Um, if you're still listening, I appreciate you and thank you for taking the time. It helps me out a lot and it's, 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 I'm just gonna talk some shit real quick because I got one person saying I should talk more about my life and I'm gonna do that. It's been, it's been super crazy to have like an audience. Like my audience is very, very small. Like with solo episodes, I'm lucky to get like 30 views, 20 views even. But, and like most of them are probably friends, but like, it's just so insane that like I have the ability and I have a platform with which I can share things that I'm learning as well as conversations that I've had with amazing people. I had a good conversation yesterday with, uh, an, with an individual whose episode is coming out next Sunday. Um, it was just, it's one of those conversations where you don't necessarily learn anything new, but the way it's explained makes it click in your mind like so perfectly. Like I'm sure we've all like, even in school, I'm sure you've had that those things where like you don't understand something in math, but then your prof or your teacher explains it to you and then you're just like, okay, this makes perfect sense. And now you can just breeze through problems. It was kind of like that, but then with like a larger scope because it's like, it's life stuff, you know? Like, I don't know. It was just such, a, it was an amazing conversation. Um, a little bit, uh, what else can I talk about? I actually went for a walk today, which was pretty good. Uh, haven't been on a walk in, in like t two weeks at least. And then before that, it was a long time. Like I'm not cardio, I'm not like cardiovascularly fit. If that's even a word, I'm just like a guy who lifts now and arm wrestles and trains for arm wrestling. I need to fix that. Um, what else? Uh, at a like boohoo i failed the i failed the test basically and it kind of bummed me out for this whole past week and i was doing some thinking and then i realized that i was putting a lot of emphasis on of my own personal value in this life on the work that i can produce and i 
day after day, I tie that more into school, which I don't think is 100% healthy, but also like school is the only metric with which you can get a job in the future and all that stuff, as you guys already know. But then again, shouts out to Alim. He made a point where that your, your self-worth is like the relationships that you hold plus the work that you output. And that works both ways. And I think I kind of expanded on that. And I said, like, if you have one of them optimized, it's time to optimize the other. So like, if you're if you have like a solid group of people, like backing you up, like kind of like how I do, it's time for me to like work on my quality, my output in like into the world and to like give back kind of thing and like, become like be a high performer. And if you're a high performer, like if you're a CEO, if you're like, if you're working, like if you're providing for your family, but you're not there for your family, if that makes any sense, it's time to like make a change into that direction and work on those relationships in life. Because I don't think you can have one without the other. And yeah, go. it's kind of like from uh, high performance habits where like there's creative drive, there's like a health drive, there's a business drive, and there's like a relationship drive, not really drive, but there's like those three or f those four motivation systems in with which you can derive success from. And I believe to be successful as a whole, you need to satisfy all four of those to the best of your ability. Because if you look great and everything else like f like falls by the wayside, no one really cares. If you're like a multimillionaire, but you haven't seen your family in years, that's that's no way to live for yourself or for them. I would like for them definitely, but it's no way to live for yourself. I would argue, and like a lot of in, a lot of individuals like in my life, like older people, I feel like they satisfy two or three of those, but they leave one behind, and that's one of the things that I'm most afraid of. It's like I want to satisfy all four throughout my life to the best of my ability and be able to sort of look back when I'm like about to die and be like, "All right, I did okay. Like I I was I was successful. I was I contributed something new to the world, which is the creative aspect. I stayed relatively healthy. I had like yeah, I stayed I stayed healthy. And I was there for my family. Like I, I, held, I kept the relationships that I hold most dear throughout my life and throughout and as I reached success in those other three aspects. I don't know. This became a lot of a lot deeper of a conversation that I intended. And yeah, uh, I think I'm gonna conclude the episode there. I didn't think it was gonna be talking for forty five minutes, but yeah. Once again, if you're if you're still listening, thank you. And I'm going to be honest, I don't think I'm going to edit this episode. I'm going to leave in like my stutters and the pauses and all that. I'm going to cut out the pauses, but I'm going to, I'm not going to touch the audio and I'm just going to let it play. And you can sort of realize that, I don't know, I'm not perfect. Like I pretty shit on camera if I may say so myself, but we're getting better. Like looking back at the first episode, there's no way I thought I would be this this good on camera like even like I still say like a lot and I'm aware of that but if you look back at the first episode you'll see how bad it was and I'm getting better at like just pausing and being dramatic which I not really being dramatic but I'm good better at pausing instead of using filler words which I think is a better habit to have in conversation with like 
there you go like with like people of like like with bosses and all that stuff and just like in like the business world uh yeah let's conclude it there i probably said we're done like three times but yeah if you want to see more episodes like like this drop them a download on spotify a review on itunes and follow me on instagram at on my dime on your time podcast for to get notified when new episodes go live and follow me on instagram at isavvllv for some mediocre fit pics and yeah i'm on the road to 1k followers right now and i think i'm at, i'm near 800 right now which is a lot more than i thought i'd ever reach but yeah super excited to see what comes in the future and yeah i'm gonna cut it there thank you for listening have a good one crush your goals <laughs>